This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. pastors here and uh, we are entering now into the third section of Luke of the book of Luke and the first section was chapters one through nine which is mostly answering the question um, who is this person Jesus and then the second section chapters 10 through 18 has more to do with ethics and what did he come to teach us to do what does it mean to follow him and then this last part where he enters into Jerusalem chapters 19 through 24 is telling us mostly what he came to do, what his main purpose and his mission was in coming here to earth, the son of God. And um, his mission was to be crowned as the king, uh, to be crowned as the Messiah, the king of the whole world, the Jewish, the great Jewish hope of the great king. Um, And we're going to see in the end that he's crowned uh, paradoxically by dying on a cross with a crown of thorns. He's a different kind of king. So I want to look at, um, first, the fact that he is a king. And in this story, he shows, after telling people not to tell anyone for so long, uh, he was kind of hiding his um, messianic nature as the king of the universe. He hid that all along until this passage, and now he's going to go public and say, I am the king of the Jews and the king of the whole world. That's what's going on here, first of all, that he is the king. And then second of all, he shows that He's, uh, he's not just the king of human beings, but he's the king of all creation. He's the king of the rocks. He's the king of the donkey and all the animals. He's, he's a, a universal, he's a cosmic king. He's greater than even the planet Earth can contain. So those two things, first that he's just the king, and then second that he's the king of all creation, the ruler of everything. So verse 29, it says, when he drew near Bethany at Mount Olivet, he sent two disciples to a village to find a little tiny horse, a colt, a donkey. We don't know exactly what kind of horse it was, but a small horse. And Bethany is a town that's very near Jerusalem. It's right before you get to Jerusalem, and it's kind of on this hill, the Mount of Olives, which, is, which goes down to a valley which leads to uh, the city of Jerusalem. So he's right outside of Jerusalem, uh, right before this mountain pass, and he he has prepared in the little town of Bethany uh, a horse. Um, and not only does he have a horse, he has a password for the horse. So in, in verse 31, um, Jesus tells these two disciples, it was probably like Peter and James or something like that. He says, go to Bethany and um, if anyone asks you, why are you untying the horse? You say, the Lord has need of the horse. Which is, you can kind of tell there, it's like a, it's a passcode. It's, um, it's a password. It lets the person who, who has the horse know that these are the folks that are going to need that horse. Um, and then, not only that, but they take this little donkey and they, um, they put cloaks over the donkey. You see that in verse 35. They, they take cloaks, they put it over this wild donkey, 
and then they put Jesus on top of the donkey. And so this is not a spontaneous thing, as I used to think it was when I read this passage. This is not like, you know, who's got, a, who's got something to ride on around here? And, oh, there's a donkey over there. Let's go ride on that. That's what I used to think that this passage taught, but that's not what happens at all. It, this is more like um, Ocean's Eleven, or if you've seen one of those movies along those lines where um, it's a very carefully uh, scripted plan, an elaborate plan that Jesus has um, prepared way before this time. And um, it's essentially a prophetic act. Um, a, a lot of the great prophets of the Old Testament, they did these strange things that showed something about the nature of their ministry. And this is a symbolic, prophetic, highly suggestive act on Jesus' part. Uh, he wants there to be a big crowd. He wants it to be a spectacle. He gets all of his followers to line up along the high street to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 37, this whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. So they are making um, all this noise and they're attracting a crowd. And not only that, then they begin to throw their clothes down, their coats, in front of the path of Jesus on the donkey. And that is, uh, that's a major uh, sign to anyone in the ancient world that this is a king. Because when a king uh, moved into their capital city, they, they always did this thing where they walked along the ground in front of cloaks. And so this is kind of like, um, you know, the president entering into D.C. in a motorcade. That's what's going on here. And it's something that he has planned carefully. And he wants Jerusalem to know, I am the king. Verse 38, they were singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is from a very important psalm. Uh, psalm 118 which is the psalm that uh, the pilgrims would sing when they were going into jerusalem for passover and it was the climax of all the hallel psalms that they would sing Uh, the hallel psalms are the ones that the pilgrims would sing as they moved into jerusalem for passover and this was the climactic psalm psalm 118 and it was climactic because this is the messianic psalm and so in um in one verse it says save us lord Give us victory. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's specifically that psalm that is being sung right here as he comes in on a donkey with the cloaks. So this is more than just any king. This is the Messiah, uh, which is the Greek word Christos, which is Christ. This is the long-awaited king who is going to set everything right. Uh, Not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings, the king of everyone. Uh, In Psalm 72, which is about the Messiah, uh, it says, This is the king that will judge the poor with justice. He will crush the oppressor and he will deliver the needy. So what what John and Raphael are doing with world relief is right. That's the heartbeat of this king's mission. There would be no world relief if there were not the Messiah come. He has set up things like that all over the world through his people. Hospitals and universities and Uh, places where people can be adopted. This is what the king does. He's the king uh, who delivers uh, the needy, who crushes the oppressor, who judges for the poor with justice. That's what the king is. And at this point in Jerusalem's life, it has uh, swollen from 600,000 Jewish people to um, 2.1 million people from all around the Roman Empire. Because this is the Passover. And at the Passover, Jerusalem just became filled with pilgrims from all over the world who were coming. They were people who were God-fearers, who, who really respected the God of the Jews. And they were coming here um, to celebrate the Passover. And so it was this moment 
that Jesus came and he said, I am the king of the world. So again, from Psalm 72, it says, may he have dominion from sea to sea, may desert tribes bow before him, the king of the coastlands, the king of Africa. That's from Psalm 72, about this coming Messiah. So we human beings, know it or not, like it or not, we were made for a king. Um, we were made to live um, in a theocracy, as they call it, or a monarchy. Uh, 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 not a democracy. I mean, democracy is a great form of government in a fallen world. Uh, I think it's probably the best form of government in a world where human beings are not trustworthy at all, uh, where there's a lot of need for accountability. But the Garden of Eden did not have impeachment trials. The Garden of Eden was not a democracy. They didn't vote on things. Uh, Adam and Eve lived with uh, King Yahweh, you know, the creator God. And so when we live in a democracy like the United States, it's very easy for us to lose that sense of reverence. Um, it's, it's very rare for an American to actually get on a knee before someone and, and bow to them in reverence. We almost feel like that's not a proper thing for a human being to do. But we live uh, in, if you're a Christian, we live in a beautiful, enlightened monarchy um, where we have this king and we don't get to choose who is in authority over us. Thank goodness we wouldn't choose the right person, would we? Um, look at who we choose. I mean, we, we are not great at picking uh, rulers over us. And so this is the king that God has given to us, King Jesus, that he has given for all people the whole human race. Someone said um, recently to me, you know, I, I don't, I'm really struggling to believe in Jesus because he doesn't agree with everything I think. And uh, I thought, you know, that's very honest, but it's also kind of crazy because, you know, who, why would you think that you're going to know everything or that because he disagrees with you that you're necessarily right and he's wrong? Um, because he is the king. Um, he, he's not just somebody um, that we decide to agree with or not. We're made to bow to him. We're, we're created as human beings to essentially to worship him, which is what we're doing here. That's why we're here. We're gathered here in the name of the king to do homage to him, um, to pay our homage to the king, the great king of the world. Um, worship, sometimes I, I, I begin to think of it as like a, a spiritual exercise or a spiritual discipline like mindfulness or meditation, but it's really not that. This is our reason for being as human beings. We, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to worship the king. So what we're doing here is the very essence of what we're made to do, which is to bow before a king, a monarch, whose name is Jesus. So that's the first point, is that he's a king. The second point is that he is a, he is a cosmic king. He is, he is a bigger king than just humans. Um, one thing that's really beautiful about the Chronicles of Narnia is the way that uh, the great lion, Aslan, is depicted as not only coming for um, the humans, but also all the animals dance around him. Uh, he, this great lion is the king of all of Narnia, both the humans and the animals, and actually even the trees um, and the plants, they bow before the king. And that's, uh, C.S. Lewis is getting that from this passage. The, the long-awaited king of all creation is here. So look at verse 40 where Jesus says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Um, the king has so much sway over his creation that even the most primordial forms of earth, the very first things that were formed on planet earth, we saw a rock being formed in Hawaii where we saw a volcano pouring lava into the ocean and rock was being formed right in front of our eyes. 
This is the most basic stuff of the world we live in. And this king is uh, so powerful and mighty that even the stones, and when he says the stones, he's not talking about little decorative stones. He's talking about boulders on Mount Olivet. Yeah, these gigantic boulders he would have seen covered in moss. That's, he, those stones would cry out um, if people were not crying out. Um, these stones that were standing since the dawn of time when humans rejected the king. See, the story of the Bible is that humans were made in the Garden of Eden to live under the rule of Yahweh, the king, and yet we rejected the king. And we tried to become the rulers ourselves. And we set up as our own rulers, and we messed up everything. Uh, we unleashed uh, devastation and decay um, far greater than this global pandemic, where not only were humans affected by this, but even um, the Bible says that the animals were affected by the fall of humanity, that um, not only animals, but even plants. Um, the reason that God judges the world in the story of the flood of Noah is partly because humans have completely messed up Mother Nature, have pillaged nature. And so um, Romans 8.21, Paul says, the whole creation was subjected to futility. The whole creation, not just humans, was subjected to futility and bondage to decay because of what we human beings did in the garden. And so nature essentially is waiting for this king to come and to grab the reins from you know, foolish, sinful humans that do not treat nature well. That nature is waiting, the birds are waiting for the king to come and grab the reins and say, now I'm taking over this place. I'm going to be the king. And um, the whole creation is groaning together as in the pains of childbirth, is what Paul says, waiting for this king. And so in verse 39, when some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, uh, tell your disciples to stop singing. Tell your disciples to stop saying that you're the king that you're the Messiah. And that's where Jesus says, I can't. Because if I did, nature would just join the song. You know, I can't stop what's going on here. I've come here and my whole creation is rejoicing with humans leading the way, rejoicing in the fact that the king is here. In Isaiah 55, it says, mountains and hills will burst into song before the Lord because all creation knows when the king has come. Uh, not just stones and mountains and hills, but even animals, uh, even wild animals. Look at verse 30. It's very important that this is a cult on which no one has ever sat. Um, that's a part of the story that I often overlook. I don't think about that a lot. It doesn't seem to mean anything to me when I do hear that. Why did he sit on a cult on which no one has ever sat? And if you know anything about animals, um, it's basically like trying to ride a you know, a lion or something like that. You, you can't just get on one of these things and let it take you around. This is a wild animal. But it says in verse 35, they set Jesus on it and he rode along smoothly. Now, they didn't have any time to tame this animal. And this is a hard animal to tame. So what's going on here? Um, my daughter uh, this summer went to Mexico and um, she got to ride on a dolphin. And in America, you can kind of ride around on a dolphin a little bit, you know, grab the dorsal fin, and it'll just kind of, you know, in a nice little circle, take you around. But, but in Mexico, you can actually ride a dolphin where they take you down underneath a pool, way down, and they come up out of the water, and you're riding on that dolphin as it comes up out of the water. And that's what my daughter got to do, and I saw that happen. Uh, now, that was a tame dolphin. It was highly trained in a little pool. It was highly contained. 
Jesus could have gotten in the ocean and a dolphin would have picked him up and done the same thing. So he, he is the king who tames all of nature um, with effortlessly. You know, like, um, I hate to compare him to the horse whisperer because I don't love that movie, but that's not a bad depiction of what he did. He could calm animals just by a look, just by a gesture. Uh, and humans were made for animals. This is something that we kind of all know, but we don't connect it to our faith. But if you have a dog or a cat or a bird or a hamster or something that you love, uh, that can mean a whole lot to someone. I mean, the amount of pain that I felt when our last dog died shocked me. The amount of connection we can feel. Humans were made for animals. But again, when we took over the world and we seized power, something went wrong with our relationship with animals and the way we treated them became, in general, a nightmare for animals. They were not happy about it. And one great preacher um, named George Whitfield said that, uh, he said, do you know why the animals bark at you and growl and run away? It's because they know that you have a quarrel with their master. And that's what Jesus came to end, is the quarrel that we have with our master. He came to bring peace to the animals, to close the gap between humans and animals. C.S. Lewis says that a, a man with his dog closes the gap uh, in the universe. So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to close that gap. And if he can sit on a wild donkey in front of a screaming crowd and bring that donkey to peace, then how much more peace could he give you, who are also an animal made in his image, but more than an animal? But I mean, if he, if he can do that to a creature that um, is like a... Um, not enti- very intelligent creature, like a donkey, like a wild donkey, then how much more can Jesus give you peace by essentially um, con- put, bringing his control over you, his reins, you know, like a horse? Like he would put his bit in your mouth and, and he can bring you to peace because he is made for you. You're made for him. Tim Keller says the, he's the only one in the universe who can control you without destroying you who can ride you without breaking you. And we should never underestimate the amount of peace that our king can bring us when we submit ourselves to him, when we give our life over to him. It's just like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous says, you know, my life has become unmanageable and I'm going to hand over control to God to let God run my life because I know I can't run it. Just like this little wild donkey. Couldn't run his life, could never have walked smoothly into Jerusalem, but Jesus sits on the donkey and, and the donkey goes. He can put, if he can put all the animals at rest, he can put you at rest. He can bring peace to your soul. Where you can rest in the, the glorious reign of the king. And so the triumphal entry, to bring things to a close, the triumphal entry is Jesus saying, um, the time has come for me to show you that I'm king. And the disciples are like, yes, we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for the time that you're going to come and and knock some Roman heads. We're ready to fight the Roman Empire. We're ready to liberate Israel uh, from the the grip of Rome. And and Jesus says, and now I want you to go and find my steed when I ride in Jerusalem. And disciples are like, yes, we're going to go find the steed. And they come to Bethany, and it is a donkey. And you know that they're crushed, and they're perplexed. like, Why? Is it a donkey? We're going to be embarrassed by this. You're going to be riding in on a colt, you know, on a, and a wild colt, like and not a prestigious animal at all. You can imagine they're kind of cringing as they're 
their king is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he looks a little bit like a fool. It's not a war horse. And they're like, is this a joke? And Jesus says, no, because I've, I've come to rule the world in humility. I've come to rule the world not on a war horse. I've, I did not come to destroy the Roman Empire, but I came to bring humility um, and to bring grace and to bring peace, just like this donkey. I came to destroy the empire in your heart, the pride, the desire for control, the desire to take over, the very thing that got us in trouble with nature. Jesus says, I came to destroy that, and that's why I came on a donkey. I came on a donkey because a donkey is the appropriate animal to, to bring a king into a city to die on a cross with a crown of thorns. And we celebrate it in this meal, which is between us now. I love how the, the supper is um, right in the middle of all of us. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to line up on either side of the table. If you want the grape juice, go to my right. If you want the wine, go to my left. But we'll line up along that sidewalk. But this meal is the great banquet of the king. And it's a very simple meal. It's bread and it's wine, which symbolize the death and resurrection of this king, of the crucifixion and the resurrection of our king, where he gives us his, his righteousness and he takes all of our sin from us. He dies for us. He gives himself entirely for us. So I'm going to pray for us as we approach this table. King Jesus, I pray that you would give us your peace, you would settle us, you would calm our minds. Give us excitement and joy that you are the king of the universe, the king of the rocks and the stones and the mountains and the trees and the animals, the birds that are around us, the ants that crawl around, the worms beneath our feet, all the animals. Rejoice at your coming. And one day we will see them um, actually bowing down and singing your praise. Um, we will be surrounded by them in the great circle of worship. And we thank you for that. Um, we love animals and uh, we are so grateful. They're part of your story of, cre of redemption. We're not just these immaterial souls, Lord. We are actually physical creatures um, tied uh, inextricably to the animals that, that love you like this little donkey that got to ride in uh, to Jerusalem with you on its back. Uh, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and he broke it. And Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And whenever we eat the bread and whenever we drink the cup, we proclaim his death and resurrection till he comes again. So, um, if you are someone that doesn't know uh, what you believe about Jesus, like Austin said, we're so glad you're here. We want people to come here who are all along the spectrum of belief. Uh, but if you're not sure um, whether to partake in this or not, just know that you're free not to. We don't want to force anyone into any kind of hypocrisy. So feel no pressure to come at all. Nobody's going to be noticing that you don't come up here. Uh, we want you to have a lot of freedom not to. But, um, but everyone else, this is not just for people of this church. This is for anyone that wants Christ. This is for uh, no matter how sinful you feel, how unworthy you feel. Uh, that's, the, that's not the point. The point is just that we're all sinners saved by grace, and we all need Christ, and he offers us uh, himself in this table. So, again, if you want the, the wine, then line up down the sidewalk to my left. And uh, if you want the grape juice to my right, and you can go ahead and start to stand up and find your place in line. And this will be a little bit more difficult than normal. And if those who are serving uh, with me will go ahead and come forward.